0: AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils.
1: Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams.
2: Welcome to AOA. I'm Mike Pearson sitting in today for Mike Adams, and we have a show today to round out the week. We will be talking weather, what's ahead this winter, as uh, Greg Solier, the meteorologist from This Week in Agribusiness, joins us with a look at the the winter ahead in both North America and in South America, and the John Deere strike continues. Uh, Bloomberg reporter Joe Duell will be joining us to talk about what all has been offered by John Deere and what has been rejected. And then we'll talk to a farmer in Ohio who's working hard to get that crop out this growing season. But first, we want to talk about one of those things that was passed out of the House Ag Committee last week, which is the Cattle Contract Library. This was a motion that was put in place in order to make the cattle industry more fair. To talk to us a little bit about what is happening with this cattle contract library, Matt Depi, the head of the Iowa Cattlemen's Association, joins us this morning. Matt, I understand the ICA was in support of the cattle contract library. Is that correct? We, we were. That is correct, Mike. And so, tell us a little bit about how does the ICA, the Iowa Cattlemen's Association, believe that this cattle contract library might help level the playing field for cattle feeders?
3: Well, so Mike, well we we look at this uh, bill as uh, so we uh, look at Fed cattle market um, uh, policy quite a bit here at the Iowa Cattlemen's Association and um, break it into buckets from our perspective. You've got competition. You've got price discovery and you've got market transparency. And that latter one, market transparency, that's where this falls. This would be uh, something that would be put in place through the livestock mandatory reporting, reported out through the um, uh, USDA AMS and work from there and give us more transparency about um, probably um, 60 to 70% of the weekly
2: fed cattle market transactions across the country. Once these cattle carts are all collected, there'll be a library that is available for anybody to go and search. Is that understanding?
3: so so, from the contract library perspective, when we look at the formula transactions, um, those are basically an algebraic equation, uh, so to speak. They have a base price of some sort, and then they're they're leveled up uh, when those cattle come to market, when they come to harvest. Um, Um, perspective. And so as we do that, um, that base price will be uh, able to better inform us in relationship to uh, what price discovery looks like out in the countryside. But more importantly and just as importantly, when we look at price determination and uh, better informing our producers, uh, we believe that um, the contract library, if it's uh, facilitated the right way through rules and, and other pieces after legislation is set, um, it will, uh, give us better information in terms of how we need to evolve as cattle producers when we market our fed cattle inventory.
2: So Matt, there has been a lot of discussion recently about marketing in the cattle space. I know that a lot of different organizations are making, uh, taking positions in Washington, DC, other than the cattle contract library, do Iowa cattlemen have anything else they'd like to see happen in Washington, <laughs> DC this year?
3: Well, we, we certainly do, and, and those listening can go to our Facebook page or even on our website, news releases on this type of uh, topic or otherwise. Uh, I've been at ICA for around, uh, well, a little over 11 years now, and uh, fed cattle marketing is really important to our membership. We're, we're the home of the farmer feeder. We've got uh, a fed inventory of some sort of livestock on one side of the uh, fence, and then on the other side we've got crops. Um, and so leverage and, and price determination is really, really important. Uh, But from our perspective, uh, certainly this is one uh, small piece. There is no silver bullet. Uh, There are several discussions happening across the industry, across the the country, uh, in the cattle industry, on the producer side, uh, related to market transparency, competition, as well as price discovery. You know, one of the topics that we're really pushing on really hard is price discovery, and that would be uh, connected to the Grassley and Fisher bills and, and whether we need a mandate Uh, to make sure that we cash negotiate a certain percentage in each region of the five area regions, um, cattle, uh, to provide price discovery, not just for us to be better informed, but also to better inform things like the CME live cattle futures contract.
2: Well, that's the thing. these uh, These price discovery things, they ratchet out, right? They impact folks other than just the ones being uh, you're subject to the contract. Matt, as you talk to your friends in washington, d c., as you talk to the folks who are uh, looking at this from a legal perspective, do you feel like under this Biden administration, there might actually be moves made in d c to make the cattle industry more competitive?
3: Well, certainly I think there's a lot of look right now, both uh, in a bipartisan fashion, uh, we'll put it that way. Um, as we talk to you, Senate Ag Committee members, both in Iowa and other states, um, absolutely. Uh, they are taking time to look through this in the, in the right way. Uh, we're trying to do our, our due diligence in relationship to providing facts, because that's the way you, you work forward on successful policy moves. Um, but at the same time, uh, whether it's uh, competition, price discovery, market transparency, um, you know, one of the, one of the things we, we've got to look at is what are we going to send out from an informative standpoint. So when we go back to this cattle contract library, the top of the, top of the market formula trades. So in other words, a producer sets a formula, I'm going to supply so much inventory uh, per week uh, to your plant location. And whether there are premiums or discounts, we know that there are a subset of those formula transactions that are just related to shackle space. Is that value added? Is that informative to the rest of the producers Uh, when we we think about price uh, determination or price discovery? um, That's the question out there. And then if it is or isn't, uh, will it trigger confidentiality? And that's going to be another uh, discussion as well as uh, captive
4: supply as we move forward.
2: And so, Matt, all of this will be uh, ideally put into the Price Recording Reauthor- Price Reporting Reauthorization Act, rather. Um, but do you anticipate that getting, getting signed without a whole lot of challenges in D.C.?
3: So that's the biggest question right now is whether uh, – so we, we kind of punted. We were supposed to reauthorize uh, here September 30th uh, on the federal level, and I think it's probably the right move we punted because there's a lot going on in D.C., uh, and certainly the, the actions we're trying to encourage, uh, the actions we're trying to inform are, are very important. Uh, and within that, we don't want unintended consequences as, as best as possible. So that said, when we come up to December and, and uh, Congress has that opportunity again, we certainly are, are interested to see if they punt, they, uh, so to speak, forward to one year or they reauthorize for a full time.
5: We will
2: have to watch and see lots of things coming out of Washington, D.C. Matt Deppey from the Iowa Cattlemen's Association. We appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and to fill us in on what's happening in that industry. Folks, when we return, AOA will be back with a look at weather.
0: AOA is brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. Sinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
6: Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's gotta earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And that's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer.
7: Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon Spread Sense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon Spread Sense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more.
0: A O A is brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel,
1: diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on A O A. Now back to Mike Adams.
2: Welcome back to AOA. Mike Pearson sitting in today for Mike Adams. We're going to talk weather here in just a little bit. Greg Solier from This Week in Agribusiness will be joining me to talk about what could be ahead this winter, both in North America and we're going to take a look south of the equator down to Brazil and Argentina as well. Before we jump into the weather, I do think it is worthwhile to get an update on harvest progress. Of course, these numbers were released earlier this week on Monday from the USDA, we do see a slowdown in harvest progress largely across the upper Midwest where it was dry and hot earlier in the fall. They were able to get in early and really make some progress on both corn and beans. Those states have have now slowed down a little bit. We continue to see uh, some movement being made. Iowa Progress is progressing. Corn harvested currently at 70%. That's 10% higher than the five-year average. We're seeing similar moves in Illinois. They're at 81% harvested at the early part of this week. That's up from 80% in their five-year average, so they are making some progress. Nationally, in the 18 states that grow 94% of the corn in this country, currently we are sitting at 74% harvested in corn. The 2016 to 2020 average is 66%, so we're running about eight percentage points faster than normal nationally. It's a similar story over on soybean. Soybean harvest in the 18 states that harvest 96% of America's soybean crop. We're currently sitting at 79%. That's down slightly from that five-year average. That's at 81%. But we are seeing some states make big gains. Illinois jumped from 68 to 75% completed. Iowa was a little slower last week with the rainfall that came through. Jumped from uh, uh, 83% completed to 88%. So farmers are out there making some progress on this harvest here in North America, and progress is continuing on planting down in Brazil. As of mid-October, Brazil's soybean crop was 10% planted. They have made some moves since then. We'll get another update here next week from Ag Rural which is the Brazilian uh, Crop Advising Service, uh, that's up 6% from, uh, from earlier in the month. And it's uh, just about three times the uh, planting pace of last year. So we are seeing a lot of progress being made down there in South America. They have seen some rains come through. We'll get more of those details from Greg Solier here in just a little bit. But it does sound like the uh, Brazilian areas of Mato Grosso and Parana are leading the planting progress. They are making some great strides down there and getting those crops on into the global supply chain. But without further ado, let's talk weather. Greg Solier, the meteorologist for This Week in Agribusiness, is joining us now. Greg, thanks for taking the time to talk to us this morning.
9: Well,
5: howdy, Mike. Uh, Nice to be with you here on uh, the old radio program.
2: Well, let's talk, Greg. We've got some warm weather sticking around, even though it feels like it might be breaking a little bit here over the Midwest. Uh, What does this winter look like to you?
5: Uh, Well, yeah, uh, that certainly is the talk. The concern always is. Well, Greg,
2: I want to talk to you about what's coming this winter. As you look out at the longer-term weather forecast, we've had warmth this fall. Is that going to come to an end?
5: Uh, it will be coming to an end, but we still have some ups and downs. The usual roller coaster, as you would expect for a fall season, is underway. You know, One day, like today, we're up uh, around the 60 to 70 degree mark over parts of the Northern Plains. A couple of mornings ago, we were down in the single digits and teens. So it's that topsy-turvy up and down temperature pattern that plays out here for just about the next few weeks, but it's La Nina. We monitor the atmosphere, though the atmosphere is a contributing factor to obviously generating moisture, weather systems, and of course the planet made up of three quarters of uh, water, so there's a direct influence between water temperatures, the atmosphere, cooling in the Pacific, where the jet stream winds originate, and when that happens, we realign the upper air pattern Typically, as you get deeper into the wintertime season, dislodging more and more of the way of cold and more and more of the way of uh, moisture with time. So on the plus side, the positive side of that, yeah, there's moisture coming, and hopefully that will help to ease the drought pattern through the southern Canadian prairie, the northern plains, before we put the frost and freeze into the ground and begin to uh, pile up the snows, which may be a little bit later in arriving this wintertime season.
2: So, Greg, do you see some rainfall happening before the cold really sets in and we start to see a lot of that snow piling up?
5: Yeah, I think more of these liquid events that, for example, uh, next week we'll transition on the backside to a little snow in the air. We had a couple of October snows, mind you, folks can recall that, out of Montana, Wyoming, back across parts of the western Dakotas. Uh, So it may be kind of those scenarios where we start in one form, primarily liquid, go back the other way. The winter storminess, if you will, is probably not projected until we get down deeper into mid to late December, January, February. So it may take a little uh, longer to arrive hopefully again allowing for some of that moisture to percolate on in and hopefully do at least see a categorical improvement or two to uh, the subsoil moisture and the drought conditions of course we don't want a whole bunch of snow piled up then we bring the spring rains in and we go from one extreme to another from a drought to a flood uh, that's something that we don't want to experience so hopefully we can kind of ease into this and yes the cold occurs the snow occurs in this latitude in winter time but maybe more of a character building one is again as we get deeper into mid to late winter and probably the early spring season, too.
2: Oh, boy. A character-building winter, Greg. That doesn't sound great, given the, the easy fall, well, temperature-wise, easy fall we've had so far. So things might be turning around on us.
5: Now, they will be turning around uh, on us here, and again, that uh, up and down on temperature keeps these bit and barn operators on their toes, livestock managers as well. One minute the grounds are firm and dry, the other times that they are wet and soggy, and of course, as we get deeper in the season, dealing with uh, either frozen grounds or snow-covered grounds. So and maybe it always is a character-building one, but even I think even more so, a little more problematic as the winter season progresses. And a quick check on South America as well. Uh, they had some rains, by the way, down there in Argentina. Argentina, uh, that's been in a very dry and headline making area an inch or two over the past week or so they're moving back in a drier pattern it's typically drier and building heat from Argentina up to Brazil so there may be additional issues down there developing as they get deeper into their spring and summer season uh, across and through South America.
2: Well, Greg, I mean, where are they sitting right now? You know, we've talked in the past that South America had their worst drought in, you know, 90 to 110 years, depending on how you figure it. Um, Across Argentina and up into that southern region of Brazil, that's where the drought was most pronounced.
5: Is that right? Yeah. Right, exactly. And remember, we talked, uh, talked about that. We saw some trademarks on the TV show. You and I were discussing how the tropics last year were busy in the Pacific. That's usually an indicator of drier air sinking in through Argentina, southern Brazil. So that got things going in that drought weather pattern. And uh, just think almost in reverse of what it happens in North America, the north, uh, northern latitudes across South America. We tend to build the heat and the hot cap atmosphere out of those dry, hot areas of Argentina into southern Brazil and kind of move some of the uh, more sustainable rains into the far northern end of the Corn Belt and through Brazil. So I think that uh, despite recent rains uh, there through Argentina, an inch or two, there are still some spots that are running three to five inches shy of normal, uh, lesser deficits into southern Brazil, but those will be expanding and building northward with time. So uh, not only a problematic winter here because of the winter stuff, but I think more headlines to be made, particularly through Argentina, as we get deeper into their summer season there.
2: Now, Greg, we are coming or we might be at the end of hurricane season. How do the tropics look as you sit here today as they might impact the
5: Gulf? Uh, for now, relatively quiet. You know, we do on occasion see a little weak disturbance, and maybe not necessarily, you know, named, but uh, begin to work its way out of the Gulf. We're keeping an eye on a little disturbed weather off of Baja as well, late in the season. Uh, but some of those may tend to accentuate perhaps some late uh, season moisture over the deep south and southeastern part of the country. Otherwise, the tropical Atlantic, I think we had Wanda making her way up through the shipping lanes of the North Atlantic. So that's out to sea. So for now, and uh, typically Normally, we kind of wind down the tropical weather season late November or the beginning part of December. That should be uh, the story as well, especially as we get this a stronger La Niña weather pattern and strengthen those winds up a lot out of North America and make them ride their way across the open Atlantic. You know, Greg, I think a lot of our listeners probably
2: remember that cold snap that ran through the southern plains oh, earlier this yeah. year, that deep, deep freeze that hit. Is there anything like that setting up on your, uh, your long distance or long range forecast so far?
5: Well, well, at least in the shorter range, no. Now, that was historic in nature. That's one of these 100-year events down there. Obviously, we don't uh, see that happening this year. Do we have cold air intrusions as we get deeper into the uh, winter season, uh, down past the Red River Valley, the south, and into the I-10 and I-20 corridor? Absolutely. Historic as far south as it went, and the degree of cold? No, we don't foresee that uh, at all. But, uh, yeah, generally along uh, well, roughly the divide on east and more so the Missouri River down to Eastern Texas and points east from there that appears to be the direction of which the main cold air sources will be playing out So you know kind of back and forth here where the western Dakotas more so the Red River Valley into the Minnesota and south and east from there where the direct trajectory of, of the real tough cold and the developing winter storms will be playing out the.
2: All right, lots of things to keep an eye on, Greg Solia. We appreciate you watching this guy and keeping us up to speed on what to expect with regards to the weather. Thanks for joining us today, Greg. Anytime, my friend. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. We will talk the John Deere strike and just what might happen in the weeks to come. Stick with us on AOA.
0: AOA is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
6: Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's gotta earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And that's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return. And success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. Egg retailers, co-ops, and
7: custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon Spread Sense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more.
9: You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rawl. Next Tuesday, the USDA releases its supply and demand estimates, which will update the U.S. and world-ending stocks. Meanwhile, look for generally choppy trade as traders adjust ahead of those reports. The USDA announced a sale of 100,000 tons of beans to Egypt yesterday and 132,000 tons to China earlier this week. Traders are also expecting the USDA to increase bean-ending stocks by 42 million bushels to a total of 362 million bushels. On the Board of Trade this morning, December corn trading a penny and a half cent lower at 557 and three quarters. The March contract down a penny and a fraction at 566 and a half cent. For soybeans, the January contract down seven and a half cent at 1215 and a fraction of a cent. The March contract down eight and a fraction at 1226. For wheat, Chicago wheat December down two at 771 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat December down a penny and a half cent at 784 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat. December down 3 quarters at 10.16 and a fraction, the March contract down a penny at $10 and a fraction of a cent. For livestock, a few bids have been renewed in Nebraska this morning as buyers and sellers continue to be locked in a standoff. Asking prices are firm around $130 in the south and $205 to $206 in the north. On the board of trade this morning, December live cattle trading 27 cents higher at 130.90. February up 32 at 136.17. Four-feeder cattle, November down 12 at 157.90. The January contract up 10 at 158.27. The March contract trading 15 cents higher at 159.47. In lean hogs, the February contract. Down forty-five cents at seventy-nine seventy-two. The April contract down thirty-five at eighty-three seventy-five. You're listening to AOA. I'm
8: Kirsten Rawl. The Alzheimer's Association and the AD Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed.
6: My mother was always very
4: active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual, yeah. and uh, she didn't know
8: It could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council.
0: AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. On AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams.
2: Welcome back to AOA. Mike Pearson sitting in for Mike Adams today. We appreciate all of you taking the time to tune in to AOA on this Friday. We are going to be talking about the John Deere strike next. I had the chance to be in the Quad Cities earlier this week, and there are a lot of picket lines across that town and, well, through a lot of manufacturing communities in uh, rural America where John Deere has plants. Their workers have been on strike for some time. Bloomberg business reporter Joseph Doe is going to join us now to talk about exactly what's going on. Joseph, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Thanks, Mike. How are you doing? Well, not too bad at all. I want to talk to you about the most recent developments, right? This past week, we saw John Deere make an offer and the union rejected it. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, So
10: obviously we had a tentative agreement. This was the second tentative agreement uh, with the union that came about over the weekend. Uh, The details, um, you know, we were able to break out here at Bloomberg News that it was a 10% raise the first year, a 5% raise the third and fifth years, and then 3% lump sums based on prior year's earnings for the even years, $8,500 signing bonus. Um, There was a lot that was good in there, Uh, and in fact, good enough that the... The overwhelming rejection of 90% of the union um, shifted quite substantially, uh, but it was still rejected by 55%. And it seems like a big sticking point is this two-tiered benefit system. So anybody who works at John Deere and is part of the union, who was hired before 1997, has a different um, benefits package, retirement benefits package, than anybody hired afterwards. And you know, listen, Mike, when when you're talking about eight to 10,000 workers, right? So maybe 8,000 vote, but 10,000 are a part of the union. Um, you can, in some ways, think of it like an election, right? Everybody kind of has their own personal interest, and they can become razor thin, as we saw in this, this latest, latest vote
2: of people who think that it's enough and some people who think that it needs to be sweetened up a bit. Yeah. Were there big moves? Did John Deere make some big concessions from that first tentative agreement to the second one? I think it's widely considered they did. Um,
10: you know, they had gone from like six to eight percent wage incre or excuse me, five to six percent wage increases to that big ten percent and then five percent in the third and fifth years. Uh the signing bonus was pretty healthy um, and they didn't break any new tiers out for retirement benefits. Um, so, I, I think across, listen, you can talk to some union folks themselves, and, and you can talk to labor experts and, and many other people across different sectors who deal with unions, and they said, wow, this is a pretty hefty uh, increase from the original offer that Deer made. Um, but. Listen, again, you do have to understand there are enough people who do not believe that the two-tiered benefit system between people, you know basically based on seniority is uh, is fair. And I think that's right now what's kind of on the table and being discussed, excuse me, to be clear, not being discussed at a bargaining table, but probably amongst the members. Um, and that's kind of where we sit at this point, right? Uh, the company said, we're not going back to the bargaining table. This is our, our best and final
5: offer.
2: And I, I think we have yet to see real movement since that. Well, and with that being the case, with John Deere coming out publicly and saying this is our best and final offer, yeah. we're not going back to the bargaining table. Joe, what happens next?
10: Yeah, listen, Mike, it's 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 kind of what everyone's trying to figure out. Uh, mm. You know, our you know the company has said. Uh, that they're in communication with the UAW. Uh, the UAW has said that they're in communication with DEER, um, but communication does not mean that they are bargaining. Right? Uh, they have they have not sat down in Moline um, to hash out any new terms or or talk about you know what a new tentative agreement would look like. Um, and I and you know, it's, it's, uh, at this point, it's, I, I think people are, everybody's just trying to kind of get a lay of the land again. Um, you know, there's best and final offers out there and we'll have to see how that actually, tr- you know, kind of goes about over the weekend and into, into next week because obviously investors are watching, <laughs> right? I mean, there there's, there's, there's jobs at stake here. Uh, and, and that seems to be, you know, th- what's really being highlighted. Uh, but the investors in deer are, paying close attention. They thought this thing would be over. Um, And the fact that we are now in week three, you have the question of does this
2: lack of workers eventually catch up and impact the business? Well, and that's the million-dollar question. You know, our our listeners are out here in farm country. We've seen a lot of new green paint get uh, get purchased this year, and yeah. you know, John Deere's been having such a phenomenal year financially. It Tremendous. seems like the the union has some power here to uh, to hold sway, and it looks like they're they're kind of waving that around a little bit. Would you say? Yeah, they they are, and and, and listen, Mike. Remember.
10: It goes both ways in in labor negotiations, right? Uh, the deer is making a lot of money right now, and that is an argument for why labor should get a bigger cut of the pie, or as they say, we want a bigger pie, not a bigger slice of the pie, right? Uh, mm. On the other hand, um, you know, when you're not, even if you're a labor union and you're and you're striking, you're actually not earning. Your wages. Um, you're getting money from a fund to kind of help you keep afloat. So until you can get you know a deal done and back to work, but that's nowhere near the same of having your full earned wages. And so uh, it, it's this. This isn't just deer and, and the current UAW, but this is every you know big labor negotiation. There's two sides to every coin. So yeah, deer wants to make a lot of money and get tractors out you know and parts out out the door, uh, but the workers also you know want to make want to get their their wages earned back and i think that that's really i think what people are starting to to hone in on at this point
2: i think you're right and joe when we think about the broader labor economy in this country right now john deere doesn't have the option to replace these folks it, it it would seem there's just not enough help out there is my understanding yeah
10: and this is where Deere doesn't you know, Listen, I talk to them, and, and this is where they are very careful with their words, right? I've asked them, how many of the union workers have you been able to replace? And they say, well, we have salary worker, salaried workers in positions that union workers work. But again, they're not telling us how many of those jobs that are no longer working are actually being filled. Uh, And that's, you know, I think that's what the market's really looking at here, right? I mean, if you've, if you've got enough, if you don't have enough people on the line to roll out enough uh, combines, um, you know that starts to be a bit of an issue. And yes, like you said, you can't just the, these are very skilled technical jobs. You can't just hire anybody, you know, walking off the street and say, okay, it's time for you to, to you know, to to build a sprayer. Uh, it, it's it's not just like a common thing that everybody knows. So yeah, the labor shortage it used to get talked about a lot on the on the consumer side, right, with fast food and everything else. But it is a major issue in the manufacturing industry across the United States.
2: It certainly is. And it sounds like in order for this to be resolved, they're going to have to do something about their benefit structure. Joseph, I was wondering if we could circle back to that. What are the the two different tracks that John Deere has right now for their benefits program, specifically on the retirement side? Well, I I think when when you kind of dive into the details, I I don't
10: want to I don't want to get too far into it because even I am a bit bit confounded by the complexity of it. Um, But, yeah, it it really comes down to, like, what are kind of the health, what are the retirement health benefits um, that I'm getting as a post-97 person versus a a pre-1997 person? Um, And and beyond that, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly certain and... You know, it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's a really dicey issue to talk about, one, and listen, when I talk to the union and I ask them, hey, dig into the details for me, you know what, every single one of them says is, Joe, I think you're, you're getting a little too technical. Uh, You've got to remember that what this really comes down to is we've spent years, decades working for this company, and we took pay cuts. And Mike, you know this and all your listeners know this. Agriculture is a cyclical business. I've covered the commodities industry for a decade. It's a cyclical industry, right? And so these workers said there were bad times at deer because that's just how it works in the market. And we took contracts in which we took pay cuts. And now things are through the roof. You have farmers needing new equipment, new parts, better than they've ever seen before. It's time for you to pay us back. And so I think, you know, it's like somebody told me before, labor negotiations, at some point, they get personal. And I think that's what you're really starting
2: to see right now. I think you're right. And that's sort of the tone that comes out in a lot of the media reporting is it's no longer just a nameless job from a faceless corporation. It's these are my coworkers. These are my family. These are people I've worked with for years. And it is personal. With that being said, Joseph, I know you've had conversations with the union. Are they prepared for this to Take as long as it takes. Do they have a timeline as to how long they're willing to go on strike? So far, yeah. Listen, there, there is, there's no
10: specific timeline, right? I mean, no, no none of these, none of these workers are sitting down saying we're going to hold out for X amount of time, um, you know, because you know the point of a strike is not that you're just going to hold out until the end of time, right? The point of the strike is to get the deal that you want, to get the pay and the benefits that you want. The next steps. Uh, you know, obviously, the union and the company have to figure out what does it, you know, the company has said that it's the best and final offer. I think the union needs to figure out from them exactly what that means. Um, you know, we, we don't have any more official commentary coming out. I mean, the, again, you know, the UAW has been very careful, right? Uh, the labor unions and companies often don't want to start getting in a shouting match through, you know, press releases and, and the media, right? Um, and, and also, there. The, the technical aspect of, you know, they probably don't want to get the government involved right now, right? I mean, we've, I, I think an important part is 90% rejected the original tentative agreement, but only 55% rejected the second one. That means real, there's been real work and real change uh, and enough given in that second
2: uh, contract to suggest that a lot of people feel like, okay, we're starting to get where we need to be. And now it's going to be fighting over the details, and we'll just have to watch and see for how long that takes. Joseph Doe, Bloomberg Business Reporter, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks, Mike. And I you listeners, stay with us when we return. Mike Plotner, an Ohio farmer, will give us an update on how harvest is looking over in the Eastern Corn Belt. Stay with us here on AOA.
0: AOA is brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
8: What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death.
1: A medical chart is not your identity.
8: And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage.
7: An advocate for hope.
8: You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. So you're saying I could save some money now by bundling my crop protection products? But I'd miss out on the 5 to 15 bushels per acre advantage from Acuron herbicide? Mm-hmm. And the 4 bushel advantage Saltro Seed Treatment has over Alevo Seed Treatment? Yeah. And the 18 and bushels per acre advantage from Trivapro Fungicide? Yep. So the bundle deal isn't really all that much of a deal, is it? Nope. Better yield is the better deal. Talk to your retailer or Syngenta
7: rep to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Acuron is a restricted-use pesticide. About 80% of farmers use propane to dry their grain. If you're part of that 80%, you know a dryer fueled with propane distributes heat and dries grain more evenly. With FS Propane, you can increase harvest quality, improve productivity, and lower fuel costs. Propane from FS ensures dependable supply. FS offers services and flexible, convenient payment programs to help keep your mind on your business while they manage your propane tank and supply. For grain drying, use FS Propane. FS Propane brings the heat recently
0: on Adam's on agriculture so there is a bipartisan bill that would create a contract library for the beef industry joined now by tanner beamer ncba's director of government affairs and market policy tell us about how it would work and how would it benefit beef producers
2: So this library,
5: uh, if the bill were to be passed and enacted into law, it would tee up a library that would be maintained by the United States Department of Agriculture under the Agricultural Marketing Service. It would warehouse all the contracts that are offered by packers to producers for the purchase of fed cattle. And of course that would be subject to USDA's rules of confidentiality and it would presumably be aggregated similar to some of these other reports under Livestock Mandatory Reporting But theoretically, what it would allow producers to do is compare their marketing arrangements to those of other producers, possibly in their area.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
7: Ag retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon Spread Sense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon Spread Sense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more.
0: AOA is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA.
2: Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. Mike Pearson here, sitting in for Mike Adams today. We are going to be talking with Mr. Mike Plotner from Ohio here in just a little bit, working to get him on the phone right now. We continue to see supply chain disruptions impacting agriculture. Um, and this is this is all over the place. We're seeing this not just in, um, in parts and supplies, but we're seeing it in uh, chemicals, we're seeing this really everywhere, in addition to the supply chain disruptions that might be caused here by the John Deere strike. All of these things could have an impact. I was excited to talk to Mike, I know he's been doing some parts runs and for him, I know a lot of those parts runs mean going to the junkyard, which is not a bad way to get parts when your equipment is old enough. We will uh, we'll hopefully check in with Mike here once we get him on the line here in just a little bit. In the meantime, we are going to take a quick look over at the markets before we wrap the day here on Friday. You know, we are continuing to see lots of movement in the grains. We've got soybeans, uh, you know, midway through the day here. They're down fairly substantially a lot of traders looking at the weekend ahead we're going to take our ball and we're going to go home the soybean market you know we started yesterday we were we were down substantially in soybeans that sell-off is continuing these global supply chain issues are shaking the opinion and the core, really, of a lot of the folks in the global grain trade. There's so many concerns about being able to secure supplies. Now, we talk about it on the uh, farm side of the ledger of securing the inputs we need for this next year. Are we going to be able to get enough fertilizer? Are we going to be able to get the chemicals? I saw some concerns uh, published here just recently that some folks were saying, hey, look, if we are going to see input prices drive farmers away from planting corn, drive farmers away from potentially planting some spring wheat due to the nitrogen requirements there, and if they're going to put all of these acres in beans, can we get the chemical? Can we get enough glyphosate? Can we actually secure these products that are, just in some cases, produced overseas and then shipped into this country? Can they actually make that trip? And um, we're not sure. These are the things we, uh, we don't know. I do understand we are getting close to getting Mike. So we'll let, uh, we'll let our talented office staff keep working on that. And in the meantime, let's talk a little bit about what's going on here in the corn market. Uh, you know, we're seeing narrow mix trade overnight was tough. Corn is down today. And it's there's just not enough news. As of now, the trade, as we heard from Arlen Suderman on yesterday's episode, I believe, of AOA, you know, we're starting to look ahead. That November supply and demand estimates report comes out next Thursday, and it is going to be one that is watched by the trade. Uh, these are things that we are going to keep in mind. But first, let's check in with Mr. Mike Plotner, who joins us now. Mike, how are things looking over in Ohio?
4: Oh, it's sunny now and started to dry up a little bit, so there's there's some good hope yet.
2: Well, talk to us a little bit. How has progress proceeded this far?
4: It's actually gone pretty well. Uh, soybeans, we had a real good window about two weeks or so and got a lot of it done. and started on shelling corn, and then uh, over the last week, we got about four and a half to five inches of rain. So that kind of slowed things down, but a lot of wheat was put in early. Uh, Triticale was planted early, and we had good weather for chopping silage, and it's been a a pretty good fall overall so far.
2: Well, that's good to hear. Mike, how did the silage chopping turn out? Tonnage uh, in the realm of where you expected it?
4: Yeah, it was uh, pretty good for for what we had. Uh, It was right about where we wanted it. We had a bunch of extra corn to shell, too.
2: Well, that is that is a happy accident there. It's nice to find. Mike, let's talk about soybeans. When you are looking at the market out there, are you selling most off the combine, or are you storing this year?
4: I actually ended up, uh, I sold most of mine off the combine back in March. I liked the prices that were there. They uh, let me break even and have a little bit extra, so I didn't try and get greedy and just sell where I know I can make a profit and farm again next year. But I was able to, actually, my bean yields were, Pretty good for uh, as late as they got planted, so I had uh, oh I put a few hundred, hundred thousand or a uh, few hundred bushel in the bin yet to save for a rainy day.
2: There you go, get yourself a little Christmas bonus, Mike. On the corn side, of course, that eastern corn belt. My goodness, we've been hearing about tar spot really for the last five months over there. Have you seen much of an impact on your fields?
4: No, we usually don't have too many uh, issues on fungicide-wise. We put a lot of fungicide on on this area. But uh, overall, everything's been doing pretty good. My corn's been all right. It got kind of planted late, and uh, I didn't get fertilizer put on until a little bit later in the year, but I'm pretty pretty satisfied with it. and uh, Hoping to get back to chilling corn again this afternoon.
2: Well, that's good to hear. And you're not just a grain farmer. You're also on the livestock side. Mike, how are things going at the dairy?
4: Uh, not too bad. We got uh, a couple fresh cows in, and they're Milk it out pretty well, and we're getting set up to start uh, shipping milk to a cheese plant here before too long.
2: It, right there locally, or are they going to have to travel for a, for a bit?
4: Uh, it'll have to go up the road about 20 miles to Kenton, Ohio.
2: Kenton, Ohio. Interesting. And will this be a, a milk that, or a, a cheese that we can find out in the grocery store, or are you selling direct to consumers?
4: It'll be uh, through uh, the, cheese, the cheese plant there. Markets their own. It's uh, Mouse House is the name of the place.
2: Mouse House Cheese. How long have you been in the dairy business?
4: Uh, We're talking about a year. Uh, I never, ever wanted to own dairy cows, and then my fiance kind of got me hooked on it. Between that and working for select sires, I decided I really like dairy cattle and uh, kind of got my feet wet helping a couple other guys uh, milking theirs, and found out I'm almost to the point of liking milking cows more than driving tractors.
2: (laughs) So does the future hold uh, growth in the dairy side of your operation?
4: Yep, that's what it's looking like now. Uh figure probably get up to 30 or 40 cows or so and then hold steady there. Just enough to, to make it worth it, but not enough to have a bunch of headaches with it.
2: There you go. That is the balancing act we are all striving for. Mike Plotner from Richwood, Ohio, thanks for taking the time to talk to us this week.
4: No problem. Thank you for having me on. I
2: appreciate it. And listeners, stay tuned. Mike Adams returns on Monday for more AOA.
0: AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
8: So you're saying I could save some money now by bundling my crop protection products? But I'd miss out on the 5 to 15 bushels per acre advantage from Acuron Herbicide? Mm Mm-hmm. And the 4-bushel advantage Saltro Seed Treatment has over Alevo Seed Treatment? Yeah. And the 18.5 bushels per acre advantage from Trivapro Fungicide? Yep. So the bundle deal isn't really all that much of a deal. Is it? Nope. Better yield is the better deal. Talk to your retailer or Syngenta rep to learn more.
7: Always read and follow label instructions. Acuron is a restricted use pesticide.
1: Informing America's farmers and ranchers. That's our goal at AOA. Each weekday, you get an hour of the latest takes from people who know agriculture. The policymakers, and the people who have the inside scoop on what's happening behind closed doors. People who have their finger on the pulse of Washington and agriculture around the world. AOA is your daily source for all the information you need to stay in the know. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. AOA.